Hello and welcome to another persistent and nasty podcast. We really hope that you enjoyed our Edinburgh Festival Fringe series. We're back to our regular weekly series and we're looking forward to getting started with today's episode. Please remember to like and subscribe and leave us a review. It really does make all the difference. Today's episode was recorded at the Three Mobile store on Oxford Street in their fabulous studio space. We're really grateful for that space. Thank you so much, Three. Um, so we are here today with Polly Kemp, who's the co-founder of Era 5050. And basically, Polly, we're just going to have a chat about Era 5050 and everything that you guys have been working towards and why you started the campaign and all of that as our sisters in arms. Great. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah, so welcome to Persistent and Nasty. Very uh, happy to be here. Yeah, thanks. Yes. And we're in lovely studio in... Um, Three, and I'll just give them a name check since we got the space. Uh, in Oxford Street, it's very nice. Let me know if you get cold, because Ian was messing about with the... Yeah, it's very, it's very well um, air-conditioned. Yeah. I'm fine currently. I'm a middle-aged Good. woman. Good. I've struggled with temperature control. I'm not quite in <laughs> middle age yet, but I am struggling with temperature control as well, because I'm used to Scotland, so, you know, oh, yeah. a wee bit colder up there. Right. So it was a wee bit cooler yesterday when I left, and then I got down here, and I was like... It's practically oh. equatorial. I was like, oh, it's warm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good job I packed for warm. Great. (laughs) So yeah, so let's just start at the very beginning. What made you decide to start the campaign? Uh, I'm a woman and I'm an actress. (laughs) (laughs) And I was beginning to run out of work. Um, I, you know, I say that's not quite as glib as possibly it sounds. At drama school, I was really aware of the of my gender I was aware of one how lucky it was that I'd got into drama school that there were more women applying for drama school than there were places Mm -hmm. there were less men applying but there were more places for them and the material chosen was very much European classics there was very little um, male centred stories uh, sorry female centred stories yeah Uh, so I you know I I knew my place, as it were. I'd had my expectations managed. What drama school did you go to? The Drama Centre, London. Drama, drama Centre. That's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. Back in the day when it was a very, very, very strict regime. And some aspects of that strict regime were great, but some weren't so great. Mm-hmm. Like being told um, towards the end of my second year that I was too fat. And if I didn't lose weight, they wouldn't take me into the third wow. year. And then I proceeded to... Wow starved myself and got yeah. down from a healthy 12 stone to just under seven stone oh my god yeah and was applauded for losing that amount of weight yeah that they could see my ribs the ballet teacher was said everybody let's applaud we can now see polly's ribs so i'm, I'm not saying that that I, you know i don't want to in any way sort of give a picture that every single drama school was like that but uh-huh. it, it, it's my particular experience mm-hmm. of being a, a young woman entering the profession and and and, and I certainly know shape and size is an issue, was an issue. Uh, yeah, still is. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if, you, if you're carrying just a little bit of extra, then, you know, immediately you're pushed into a particular bracket of casting, which mm-hmm. is strange because 
big women are dynamic too. Yeah. <laughs> We're all different shapes and sizes. We yeah. still manage to carry on and do a job. Yeah. We're not we're not all in domestic service. <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> Some of them are CEOs, guys. <laughs> yeah. So um so I suppose the reason I mention this is that in terms of starting a campaign, my consciousness was at various points in my career sort of came up in terms of the inequality for me as a woman and then at other times it was more strategic for me just to you know shut up and put up and get on because I was I was being offered some opportunities that were lovely you know I did a lot of mainstream theatre at the Royal Shakespeare Company with Peter Hall in the West End you know I was lucky um, I didn't really have to think about it too much for the first decade probably okay. And then as I sort of began to get my 30s, obviously it begins to change Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, you're, there's more of you going for less parts with less lines and it becomes a bit of a struggle and you begin to get furious again. And um, then I hit my 50s and that's a whole new, you know, world for women because often you're going up for parts and it, it, it would appear that they're actually they reflect the experience and the image of women in their 60s and 70s mm-hmm. who actually even women in their 60s and 70s are dynamic and beautiful but yeah. I mean you know you're wearing a cardigan and you've got a bubble perm you know and that's it's it, it's really hard because your contemporaries your male contemporaries are making a living and they're silverhead foxes you know and they, yeah. they, they, they look great Again, I'm generalising. However, yeah. I'd have to say that it, it probably does... I think it's a fairly true depiction of of the industry. Yeah. And then a text arrived... Well, it was a text converted into an email arrived in my inbox um, from Elizabeth Barrington, who is an amazing actress who I'd come across and admired for a long time. Um, and it was basically saying you know um suffragettes come out the film Mm -hmm. and here we are 100 years later and it still hasn't improved at the same time around the same time um the gina davis institute released um a report gender bias without borders which looked at representation in films across 11 countries and they found and that included the uk and they found on film uh women were outnumbered by men by two to one and then we did a little bit of research on across television and we found in, I think it was 181 programmes, which had all qualified for high-end tax relief through the cultural test, um, that the same two-to-one ratio existed over here and in television. So um, Lizzie and I got together, had a chat, and I think, I think... I just thought I'm done with sitting in a pub and moaning or I'm done with sitting outside a casting and rolling my eyes <laughs> and, you know, us all sitting there just feeling really dispirited and that perhaps finally the time had come for me actually to do something. So um, Lizzie and I decided to call a meeting um, of our network of friends which was quite considerable given that we'd both been around for about, you know, over 25 years. So we had quite a considerable network. 
and we had a meeting in Soho at Soho Theatre and it was clear that um, there was a, a sort of common frustration which was around sort of uh, one number of parts and then the quality of those parts mm-hmm. and the pay for those parts mm-hmm. uh, so we felt there was a mandate really to do something from, from those women so basically I put my backpack on <laughs> I put my sturdy walking shoes on yeah. and I walked for about six months me and Lizzie walked and we went to meet um, people in various areas of, 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 I suppose, I don't know how to use that, it's not industry. So we, you know, we went to people within the industry. We also went to people in the political um, sphere. So we went to Baroness Una King. We went to other organisations like Directors UK. We had amazing help from their, um, their campaign manager, Ali Bailey, gave us a huge amount of help. We went to with Lucy uh, uh, Lucy Kerbel at Tonic um, who was doing a huge amount of work in um, unconscious bias, gender yeah. you know just education mm-hmm. basically educating, going into organisations and really helping them from an organisational point to look at their gender so it, it was essentially the first sort of year was Sort of gathering information mm-hmm. and learning. Um, then Denise Goff um, approached us and said that she would. So we. So I can't remember how this, which order this happened in actually. So either we decided to have a t-shirt, a campaign t-shirt, or Denise came to us and said, "Have you got anything that I can wear to go to this award ceremony?" And then we made a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. I can't really remember, but anyhow, yeah. The upshot was that Denise went to receive an award at the Critic Circle, wearing our T-shirt, with our logo on it. And I suppose that was the moment that we realised that um, if we could get people who had profile wearing our badge, that that generated interest on a sort of wider scale. Yeah. And it meant that we were then invited to be part of bigger conversations. And then we developed the badge. And then Denise very kindly wore the badge at the Olivier's. Mm-hmm. And then the badge was tiny then. Then the badge got bigger. And then and then Jimmy wore, Jimmy Nesbitt wore it at yes. the BAFTA TV Awards alongside Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Olivia Coleman and tons of other fabulous yeah. era supporters. Um and then we realised that there was definitely engagement with this issue because news programmes wanted to talk to us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's a, so, so you understand, you begin to understand the issue, then you see that actually there is engagement from, from, from other stakeholders who want to get involved in your campaign, so you realise actually you've got great credibility. Mm-hmm. And, then, um, and then it was about how do we how do we begin to um, articulate our argument in such a way that we can really begin to influence the policy of organisations in terms of how they employ women, how they up their percentage of women in key creative roles? Because in you know you, we started off from very much a kind of it's just about numbers. We just need numbers on stage and on screen and mm-hmm. on TV, and you do that anyhow. <coughs> you can yeah. So you just you just bung them in, you just change the roles. However, 
you might not necessarily get the kind of female experience that an audience, a female audience really would want. Yeah. You'll just get women being men. Mm-hmm. So you begin to track the problem back and you, and, you, and you develop a root cause analysis, which is if you don't have women in key creative roles and significantly as directors or writers, you're not really going to see women in their full diversity. Yeah. It would, having, you know, I, I won't see women in their lived experience. Yeah. Um, so it was about influencing around sort of writing and directing and those other positions. So we um, then decided to have a, an official launch event at BAFTA. Mm-hmm. Um, and we um, managed to get money and we had this big event in BAFTA last February and we invited about 200 odd industry leaders and it snowed a lot. Some didn't come, but the majority <laughs> did on the night. Good. And um, we had this event where we presented our solutions, how you can change your organisations. And then since then, um, and since then, we now have a sort of suite of solutions that we offer. Um, we um, are very clear about where we think the pinch points are and what you can do to change them. And so we sort of are trying to. So that was about. Um, that was about you know trying to address unconscious bias and now we're looking at we've got other we're doing other things we're trying we're doing a piece of research and we are um trying to create a comedy writers event um where we start to develop female comedy talent oh, brilliant. because it's particularly bad in comedy yeah you know there's only 11% of tv comedy written only 11% of comedy on television is written by women wow 11% which means that 89% is written by women, men. <laughs> which we're not going to find funny. Well, we or, might well, find we funny, funny but it's yeah. maybe not entirely, a, and it, you know, <laughs> completely a hilarious female. Like Fleabag, yeah. for instance. Yeah. You know, which... Genius. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I must smack the pony. Yeah, I know. Sm- yeah, like, yeah. smack the pony, you know, I used to love smack the pony. Um, but it's just, you know, when you think about it, wow, 11%. Yeah. It's and I think um, I think that when you look at the influence of programs like the Inbetweeners, where for young men they made it okay to be a bit of a twat, can mm-hmm. I use that word? Yeah, absolutely, go ahead. <laughs> It was it was fine for them to be a bit of a dickhead, you know, and and actually it's sort of it feel was... free. Maureen said cunt on it, so like <laughs> feel free to use whatever you want. Yes, so, Maureen. Yeah, I know. I know she's. And then that's great. I know. Only the second female president of Equity. I know, and the but actually the only reason that the first female president was there was because it was during the war. Uh, yes, that's right. So it wasn't even really How that. How she's... Is that? I know. I know. Anyway, that's anyway, that's yeah. great. That's the beginning of something. Beginning of change. Um. Yeah, yeah so, so feel so, free to swear and <laughs> do whatever you want. But I think significantly when you look at things like like between us, what that did in terms of sort of, re, you know, just looking at, at, at male identity, um, I think things like Fleabag, for instance, they're not reinventing comedy, but the, the specific thing about Fleabag that is so brilliant is it's quite a conventional format and it's not necessarily a new story, mm-hmm. but it's got a woman being, uh, you know, being vulnerable, being imperfect... Yeah, flawed, yeah. Being foul, 
and fabulous and not necessarily getting her man at the end. Sorry, yeah. that's a bit of a... Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yes, okay. um, you know, so it's... And I think... So what you're seeing there specifically, I think, is, you know, is the female gaze and the difference. So it's not necessarily about new narratives. It's just about a different point of view mm -hmm. that I think we haven't really explored enough. Yeah. Absolutely. I was going to mention in betweeners only because when you were talking about it, my husband thinks it's hilarious, and I'm just like, oh, I was at school with those boys like that. I don't find it funny. Because oh, I'm going to say I do find it funny. Like, I'm so know, sorry. No, no, but that's I good though. It. But I think like I just like I kind of look at it and I'm like, I literally went to school with these boys. I don't really want to yeah. feel like I'm 16 again. But I know I I've got lots of female friends who find it hilarious, but just maybe it's because I'm older than you. I don't know. I, so I love comedy. I mean, particularly, I think why I'm interested in this comedy initiative yeah. is because I, I love comedy. Um, and, and I think what I see on things like Netflix and Amazon is a variety of comedy that comes from America that really explores different types of women. Mm -hmm. And um, and I'm sure somebody will say, yeah, but, you know, look at this comedy that, you know, w with a woman in it, you know, there was, you know, like um, Hyacinth, bouquet was oh, an yeah. older woman yes, yeah. there are examples i know that there are examples yeah. of women throughout the kind of history of comedy that are great however i just but it's a handful of examples yeah it is a handful of examples and i and i just don't think it covers the full diversity in the way that american comedy mm. does anyway our comedy initiative is basically about trying to um influence people who are creating writers room to to employ more women in those writers rooms and and develop a pipeline of talent because lots of women have ideas but often mm. they don't have the contacts or the foot in the door or you know or, or perhaps experience of working and collaborating with other people um so that's your next part is the is for comedy writers and the research and yeah. the research there are two big things this yeah. year well and three so big things for fundraising is a third one and fundraising and yeah. fundraising is for for us as an organisation to keep going yeah to keep going <laughs> yeah. we basically did it on no money for the first two years I mean yeah no money at all yeah apart from what people very kindly donated through our badge our badges effectively kept the organisation running but I didn't get paid for anything yeah nobody got paid yeah and then very kindly last year we got donated some money from an anonymous don a donation and that has allowed us to at least you know pay costs mm -hmm. and pay a little bit of money for when we have meetings because um is it that's that virginia wolf quote that you know uh, from a room of one's own is that um the payment of money turns the frivolous into the serious or something oh, that's the quote uh -huh. it it elevates the frivolous to you know yeah so you know because i think it's important that the women who have given an awful lot of time to this organization you know get get paid for their time, time. we get paid a tiny amount um so the fundraising is not to pay us to have lovely lunches um <laughs> it is basically to allow us um to to create documents go to those meetings um uh do those events and do them in in, in proper time scales yeah. because with very little money it means that everything takes huge amounts of time yeah. because you've got to you've got to sort of grab that time between day jobs and availability so so it's it's really making us a sustainable organization yeah. uh organizational resilience i think that's what karen who's our 
sort of COO effectively would probably like me to say. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> persistent nasty could do with that as well. <laughs> yeah, we are very much the same. It's all kind of at the moment out of our own pocket. So like when we yeah. do, um, so we do script events and we get people to like female writers to send us in scripts and we pick one and we put them on. And we are really blessed in Glasgow, you know, it's such a, because it is smaller, obviously, than London, that the acting community is, is really a community. So, you know, we have been really blessed to have actors come along and do a reading for a pint or whatever. But, yeah, you know, wow. it's like, and but as actors ourselves, we kind of hate asking that. But the conversation needs to be had and the conversations of the debate usually after the script is always great. So we've been really blessed with that. But we are we're hiring venue and yeah yeah I think somebody's got to do it right yeah and I and I think there is <laughs> definitely as an industry there is people do a lot of things for nothing because somehow I don't know as we you know I don't know how as a culture we've allowed that to happen. I know, yeah. Uh, culturally. So, you know, lots of there are lots of campaigns like us and we're all sort of sort of fighting for little bits of money and, and we're doing some of the really important work which is you know, we are trying to make a cultural shift. Yeah. We're trying to create new content that's different and exciting. Um, that's what we're trying to influence. There's um a, a great social scientist I think she's a social scientist in America called Stacy Smith okay. she works with the Gina Davis Institute <clears throat> she's got a great little TED talk if anybody's interested you can look that up yeah um, and it's all about she's all about you know upping because um, she works with the Gina Davis Institute so it's all about how you up representation and she does a lot of work around the economics of of content starring women I think I don't know whether she came up with this statistic but you know films featuring women or directed by women or produced by women have budgets which are 20% less than one that's very male driven but they make 20% more at the box office that's, wow uh, you know so I do think that people are missing a trick if you look at the impact that Derry Girls has made that Fleabag has made yep. which are written and starring women um, their sort of their viewing figures um, are bigger than an awful lot of male-authored, male-driven comedies. Mm -hmm. And so it's clear that there is an audience out there who are willing to pay, in inverted commas, mm -hmm. by watching. Well, you know, there, mm -hmm. it, is, it is a viable economic model to, to do content by and starring women. That is not to say that we are... So we are 50-50. We're not an all-female organisation. Yeah. We're not about you know, oh, we don't want men involved at all. I just have to stress that. Yeah, so we're the same. There is a lot of, com <laughs> you know, there's a lot of comedy. You know, the great things, Forty Towers, Monty Python, yeah. you know, In Between Us, Men Behaving Badly, there are great comedies yeah. by men. And, and, and I, there is a space for all of those. But we're just asking for a little space for us yeah. too. And I think that broadcasters, if, if, you know, if you look at people like Michaela Cole, the splash that they make... Clearly, um, time and energy needs to be sort of put on that. I, I quite like some more content with the older women in, please, older women. Although, Mum, that was great with Leslie mm -hmm. Mamberlin, that's terrific. Yeah, it was great. Um, but, um, yeah, 
so it makes economic sense and i think i think viewers when they see that i think women are so keen to see themselves mm -hmm. that when they love it they go on twitter they amplify it they talk to their pals you know it's like this sort of moment where women suddenly go oh my god yeah i identify with that that's me how brilliant i'm going to tell all my mates and you know that's yeah you're a fool to miss out on that right yeah exactly yeah um so we can chat more about um anything you want to bring up on era 50 50 but also we'd love to hear more about you polly <laughs> and your your, <laughs> your um i hate using the word journey so i'm trying to think of a different the jelly word i hate it oh my journey it's, it's been long it's long oh, very tired from my journey are you tired yeah from it? <laughs> i've mostly been wearing a backpack <laughs> And walking bits. <laughs> I'm walking in very sensible shoes. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, I love a sensible shoe. Who doesn't love a sensible <laughs> shoe? And if you don't, you will find a point in your life where that sensible shoe you're yeah. happy to have. <laughs> yeah, so you started at Drama Centre. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I um, yeah, I was, I'm from the north. Um, Whereabouts in the north? I was born in Liverpool. I lived in Liverpool till I was eleven, and then my parents, you know, dragged me to the Lake District, which which I would never forgive them. Yeah. Um, and I lived in the Lake District uh, till I was eighteen. Okay. It's a bit of a social outcast at school. <laughs> I sort of wasn't. I never really fitted in because I was very artsy, and it was a very sporty, sciencey school. Okay. It was quite a struggle for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and back then you know being in the lake district in the kind of late 70s early 80s it was literally like being you know 10 years behind yeah. the rest of the country so i got a job as a nanny in london um and came down to london to try my luck at drama schools and so i worked as a as a nanny and auditioned for drama schools and then got into the drama center london and went there for three years three years yeah three years of torture <laughs> <laughs> you know that i mean there's a you know there are incredible actors that have come out of the drama mm -hmm. center you know helen mccrory and tara fitzgerald colin first you know there are incredible they've they have it's it's an incredible training because it was very much like you know a sort of hot house it was about purity of craft and a dedication that was sort of like Grotowski he did towards the poor theatre mm -hmm. I think with these you know whether he talks about actors being like moths to the flame that you sort of basically destroy yourself to be yeah in the creation of your art so that was very much the ethos and I almost did by starving myself yeah um but I did leave with an extraordinary work ethic <laughs> yeah <laughs> you'd I mean you you had to work to survive you know, you had to be there at eight in the morning, if not earlier, and you, you didn't leave till beyond eight, and you worked Saturdays too. And wow, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it wasn't. I'd really wanted to go to Central, where friends of mine who went to Central said it was about wearing mascara and singing songs around a piano. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why didn't I do that? <laughs> um, so I think Drama Centre was really great in terms of work ethic. I think where it fell down was I felt that it didn't, it wasn't working towards what was a sort of commercial theatre that was that was European that was that was European in the sense of what existed in Britain at that yeah. time. So it's quite hard. But I think because I'd I when I was working as a nanny, I'd work, I'd live with actors. I think I sort of knew it wasn't going to be like that. Yeah. 
and um, I really quickly got into the RSC where I spent three years drinking in Stratford yeah, yeah. well <laughs> what else are you gonna do having fun yeah it was great yeah but it was three I years I love that yeah I just did plays and skipped about yeah it was just lovely because I was so young yeah I didn't have a mortgage yeah <laughs> no responsibilities no responsibilities yeah. I had a car that was it that, <laughs> yeah and a couple of boxes and it's that it's that idea of rep as well isn't it that's so lost now yeah, yeah it was yeah I mean the I think the RSC is one of you know it's it's, it's the RSC and the National they're sort of, they are old establishments that still kind of Do. allow young actors to have a bit of space yeah up in Scotland it's Dundee rep yeah kick about yeah which yeah. you've got that um although it's changed but yeah it's not so much there's not really that I think everything I d- actually I do think that that generally there is yeah there probably isn't the rep like it like it was mm-hmm. um so I love that and I cried a lot when when finally I had to leave uh and then I I bobbed about doing theatre you know Peter Hall I did a few shows there going into the West End and gradually started to creep into television I didn't naturally find television very easy at first because I think because I'd spent a lot of time doing theatre yeah so I found that quite um, not an easy transition. A lot of my friends, I had lots of friends in Central, they they went straight into televisions and were making loads of money. And, mm-hmm. But I didn't find that necessarily easy. But in my 30s, I began to do a lot more telly and film and commercials, which gave me money to buy a flat yep. and stuff like that. Um, and I used to um, earn money by uh, pimping myself out as a casting assistant so I used to work for casting directors as well when I wasn't working Mm -hmm. so I'd take casting sessions for commercials and for films and for television so I never really went very far from you know I yeah the industry you stayed in it for your day job for my day job yeah which (laughs) sounds yeah (laughs) the day Um, job (laughs) and and you know and that and that's effectively how it's continued I I you know I've done some great shows I was in the thick of it mm-hmm. which I loved great show yeah oh, yeah yeah really Lucky. yeah Lots. yeah and I did you know great series like Desperate Romantics with Channel 4 I've done a you know fabulous comedy with Joanna Scanlon and Vicky Pepperdine called Poppy Love um you know so you oh, yes so you have so you did I loved that <laughs> didn't get commissioned for a second series yeah Annoyingly, and actually, in a way that I do think that's an example of you know where you don't value female talent yeah. enough because because actually that was such a great show mm-hmm. and people did love it but because the initial viewing figures weren't great, I I just feel that that wasn't somebody didn't really spend enough time thinking right let's go back and re-examine that and really yeah. develop it a bit more. It was like up the women as well. Yeah, which it uh, was Jessica yeah. Hines. Yeah, um, and Rebecca Vic- Front. Yeah, and Vicky. Vicky. Uh, and I loved it. I thought yeah. it was great. Yeah, and it yeah. never got a second series. I was so... Yeah, I was disappointed. I think... I, because I think uh, maybe those programmes were just really before the absolute... Um, the kind of ubiquitousness of the online mm. players, I think. Maybe... I don't know. I, I just... The puppy love was such a great idea. And it was really disappointing that it didn't go for a second series. Yeah. I think... Yeah. I think that was a real waste because Vicky and Joe took it to America and HBO, I think, and developed it over there. Okay. You know, so it was an idea with legs. It was just, it was brilliant. Yeah. 
but you know it's it's i find it harder now you know the end of last year i had a you know i had a great year i did um an itv1 little part in an itv1 drama i did little tiny parts in a couple of films um but it's not enough to sustain a living i still have to work elsewhere and i you know i still have to have my own business and yeah and stuff uh you know i've made decisions about my life based on my choice of career i decided that having children wasn't a great idea so i i don't have children it's not a massive tragedy for me at mm -hmm. all i don't weep yeah in many ways i'm quite glad because i'm not paying somebody's university fees right now yeah yeah <laughs> so um i'm married i've got two dogs i love my dogs i love my husband and i love my home life i'm very lucky yeah and my career has enabled me to because i was a young actor at a time when it was possible to buy a flat with mm -hmm. your episode fee from Poirot, which is how I did it. Um, I think that's less possible now. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> I mean, I look at young women. We have a lot of sort of women, 30, 30-ish women who help with ERA. And, you know, I look at their, their chances of buying somewhere in London or almost nothing if they yeah. want to stay as actors. Yeah. And that kind of breaks my heart that... You know, there's a lot of fantastic, and it's not that doesn't just affect young female actors, actresses. It, you know, it affects young male, any young young actors. Yeah. Because you know the pay as you enter the profession is poor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is like the best word. I mean, it's fucking terrible. Yeah. It hasn't changed. It's got worse. Yeah, I think so too. Even adverts and things like that have yeah. got worse. I remember when I uh, left. I graduated it was about a year after I graduated I got a iron brew advert so oh. soft drink advert and I was like oh great amazing and I got a lot of money for it it was a buyout more money than I'd ever had and then a couple of years later a friend of mine got an advert same company same drinks um for less than half of what I got because they looked at their policy and realised they could get actors cheaper. Yeah. They just cut their budget differently. They just totally changed it and I just thought, wow. Yeah. And now it's, but it's also now everything that you do is there forever. You know, yeah. any adverts, because they all go on YouTube now, so. Yeah. Your yeah. image is used forever. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, <coughs> it's interesting you talk about the children thing, because we're also doing a series where Clayton chats on periods motherhood pregnancy menopause mm. totally understand if not everybody wants to talk about it but um i love that you're really honest about not having children <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah i know because i do think there's such a pressure for women yeah i think i i just think it was not so um i made a lot of sacrifices early on in in, in my sort of life as it were in my in my teens i made decisions about what i wanted to do with my life which meant that i had to leave where my family were mm -hmm. i moved down south you know i starved myself yeah. you know that there are lots of things you know I, I i did a job that didn't pay as much as my contemporaries you know i have a great friend who's a barrister she's got a beautiful massive four-floored house in in clapham yeah you know so this this and children is definitely a choice i made because i knew that if I wanted to, it, you know, the, the sacrifices I'd already made financially, it, to me, I just thought, I just, it was a decision point in when I was 30, about 30, was I've made this investment now in my mm -hmm. career and I've made sacrifices and I'm not at the same place as my contemporaries. I either 
plough on mm -hmm. or I go a different way and I have children. I mean, there are plenty of actresses who've managed to have children as well. I, I'm not saying... Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. This is purely my own experience. Yeah. And I just thought it doesn't sit with me to have children. And also, I don't want to bring children into my own particularly neurotic, crazy life, you know. And that's that's me. That's not being an actress. That's just me being a crazy, neurotic person. I just thought, I can't, I can't do that either. But then actually, weirdly, you're talking about menopause. I then had an early menopause at my end of my 30s, so... It was taken off the table. Okay. Which is, I was also equally fine with, yeah. Yeah. You can get rid of those pesky periods. Yeah, but goodbye periods. Goodbye periods. Hello, hot flush. <laughs> Sleepless nights. It's a joy for us, really. Anxiety, yeah. Yeah. This is, we're, we're so lucky. <laughs> we go great. from period pain to hot flushes. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Um, yeah, no, the, the whole child thing is really interesting because um, we did a podcast recently with Jemima Levick, who is Stellar Quines. She was at Dundee Rep for a wee while, um, and now she's Stellar Quines um, in Edinburgh, and she's got two kids. And she was just saying, had she thought about it, she definitely wouldn't have had her second because <laughs> um, she was like I mean she said both of her children were happy accidents but if she'd actually thought about it yeah then it might not have happened at all yeah <laughs> <laughs> which I, I found totally fascinating and I loved how honest she was about it um because I, I yeah I think that as an industry as well there isn't a huge amount of support for families no so I mean there are fantastic campaigns like Pippa um, who are working really, really hard to make our industry much more child-friendly. And recently, and I can't remember who the actress was, but there was an actress that, because of Pippa's campaign, was able to bring her baby into the rehearsal room. Yeah. And, um, you, know, we've, there's, um, you know, we've had talks with actresses like Charlotte Riley, who was trying really hard to get films to introduce a budget line that meant that they would have a crash bus on set. Yeah. Because for films, for crew on films, it's impossible for female crew mm -hmm. if you've got a baby because the hours are so mental. Mm -hmm. I mean, for actresses, I guess, you could probably negotiate slightly different... Well, you can't, ultimately. You've got a schedule. You, you know, you've got to turn up when you're called. Yeah. But anyway, I think um, there's a lot of work to be done around childcare because... So my decision was based on an industry that... That, that wasn't helping women with children you know so I think now it is beginning to change but there's still a lot of work to be done oh, there's so why would you do why would you have a child if it means you're never going to work again yes. as an actress in this in something that you've you know yeah. been passionate about yeah it's a really hard decision I'm all I'm I mean very much want to have a child we've tried for a long time um but it's it, it's a I'm a constant it's a constant shift yeah anyway is what it is though it's yeah, life yeah yeah, yeah. I mean lots of, I mean for lots of people it's <coughs> you know there's it isn't just us anymore and I think it, it, we live in times where it's you know there's a economically it's really tough for everybody so having a child is a is a big consideration yeah. because can you afford to even feed that child you for know, a lot of people for a lot of people yeah yeah mm -hmm. um, talking about the weight thing I'm just jumping back I know um do you feel there is a change? Do you feel there's a positive change? Do you think our actresses are still made to feel like they need to be super skinny? So I was definitely told I was too fat. Okay. And I... So I lost a lot of weight and the casting for my third year changed. I then... It happened a couple of times then, obviously, because you never quite... When that stuff gets a hold of your brain, you never quite. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go on. To, I wouldn't say that I was anorexic, but I definitely had anorexic tendencies. Mm -hmm. I would have 
um, episodes of anorexia that didn't it what didn't live with me constantly so I had a couple of episodes in my 20s because some bastard assistant director broke my heart mm. and you know and other times yeah what I did notice though was when I lost weight my casting changed and I worked so that's what the reality was for me mm-hmm. uh, I've never quite been able to shift that from my head I still have a kind of little reflex that happens like if I just lost some weight then maybe I get some more work yeah so that's that's what drives so that's how it impacts me yeah what I see on television are a lot of um, women leading ladies who are of a certain size. I don't know whether the messaging is quite so overt in the sense that somebody's saying to you, that's certainly not my experience right now, if you lost weight, you would work more. Mm-hmm. However, what I see on television tells me that thin actresses tend to occupy yeah. those lead roles. I think there are, there's that gorgeous actress who is in the in-betweeners and within Drifters... So, you know, she's an example of a gorgeous woman who's not a conventional size. She's really curvy. Mm-hmm. And so you definitely see women who are larger. Joanna Scanlon, you yeah. know, gorgeous, gorgeous woman, brilliant actress. Yeah. And she's not, she's definitely not a conventional size. So there is representation on screen. So, but there is, there's messaging. There, there is messaging still. We are perpetuating yeah. the view that if you're thin, if you're a particular size and shape, then, then, then you are a certain type of person or you're, dynamic or your yeah. I don't know I it doesn't it sort of probably doesn't impact me so much because I'm older you're just wearing a blo- like I said wearing a bloody cardigan and with a bubble plan so you know it doesn't really matter with your thing I don't or not. really know anybody in their 50s and 60s that has a <laughs> firm and a cardigan you know uh, writers take note <laughs> I suppose uh, I want to be a bit more articulate than I am being currently I think there is pressure I think that um, I think that if we had more women writing, mm-hmm. I think we'd see a, a wider variety of women. Yeah. I think in theatre, I see women who are bigger playing lead parts, and particularly now that we have a much more inclusive, diverse casting, I'm seeing different types of women for sure. Yeah. Um, back in day when I was leaving Drama Centre, it was you know the 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 tall, willowy, thin, blonde woman. Um, pale woman definitely dominated um, the leading parts so it's I think there is pressure but I think I hope and I think people are interrogating that a bit more yeah yeah I I I think our younger actresses that are training are certainly um, ones that I've spoken to in Glasgow there's definitely there's a conversation being had about it whether or not actually making a difference I'm not sure yeah um because I can still see certain paths that our young female actors are taking and I know that our male actors have pressures too yeah yeah and they absolutely do but it's I don't think it's to the same point I I think it is to do with who writes it so I think if you had more women writing I think you would see a different range of of women and I think if you continue to have the male gaze represented on screen you're going to see a certain type of woman when I look to America again, I see a wider range of people. I'm currently watching my crazy ex-girlfriend, which I'm completely hooked to. I feel love lovely. it. I feel that's like my dirty secret, but is, but she, she's great. Yeah, Rachel Bloom. She's got massive boobs. Yeah, she's not thin. She's got mental health issues, and you know she's the lead in it. 
she is surrounded by quite thin people. Although there's an older woman. There's the older woman that's the thin. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. who's, who's curvy. So, curvy, yeah. yeah. So I think... Um, I think you have to ask a young actress about that, particularly mm-hmm. whether that... Because for me, it's... For me, I have to really... Just my experience... Yeah, so my experience was that I definitely had pressure on me when I was yeah. younger. I now have internalised that pressure, so I don't know if I can make a really objective yeah, no, I, uh, view yeah. of that. Yeah, no, totally. But I just know that what I see still, I don't feel represents the women yeah. that I know and that are in my life. Yeah, no, I think that too. I think that's probably why I was asking, because I kind of feel the same. Like, I know that we've talked about it. Louise and I, in particular, have talked about it. So we're both in our 30s. We're both now at a point where weight is an issue that wasn't an issue 10 years ago. And, you know, I seem to just, like, look at something and I put on weight. And I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> there we go. Um, Just kind of the way it's going. So that then makes me go, am I not getting the work now? But you because... see, that's an extraordinary thing because I look at you and I just see a woman, a really attractive woman. And because we're not, I suppose, contextually, we're not we're not sitting in a rehearsal room, yeah. we're not in a casting. Yeah. I just see a woman that I am talking to. Yeah. And that I've had, you know, contact with via email and I don't have any value judgment over it at all. Mm-hmm. And it's this weird thing that happens as soon as we walk into the space, mm-hmm. this sort of, the space where we create suddenly there's a whole set of rules that that begin to apply everybody's capable of telling stories every single person can yeah. tell a story and i think you know i i think there are there is i think lucy kerbel for instance there are people doing interesting work around what what is sort of what is um artistic genius what is the creative process what what is it about being creative how do we sort of explore that and begin to challenge it and i think i think there are loads of taboos in our industry like you know it's fine for so if a, if a man if a director and i've worked with male directors who have been really unpleasant but that will be perceived by the wider industry as being dynamic and nobody will challenge it and it's okay whereas for a woman who does that she's difficult and she might not get any more work and I think, uh, and we allow a lot of that under the guise of artistic genius. You know, there's also a perception that if you've got, you know, Nicole Kidman in a room and somebody maybe who's a bit curvier and fatter, that 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 the, the creative genius sits with Nicole Kidman mm-hmm. and not the the larger person. And I think whilst we do accept there are larger person people with who are creative are creative geniuses, our unconscious bias naturally yeah. drifts because of because culturally that's that's what we're told yeah we look at the thin tall person we go oh they're the person who's brilliant yeah i think as a reflex and we have to really challenge that and rethink that and interrogate that just lastly so we can finish up and i can let you um get on with the rest of your days great (laughs) i know because you're right opposite john lewis i'm so swinging straight by that i actually just walked past um zara as i was walking up and i was like oh that's where i'll be going when i finish and then rituals is down like the wee body care shop and i was like "Mm, i'll be going in there as well yeah yeah. we don't have one of them in glasgow so i'm like i'm treating myself totally i know my husband will be like where's the money coming from (laughs) From that tree at the bottom of the garden, that it's, money tree. Isn't that what it is? <laughs> I totally thought that's what we had. Um, yeah, no, just where would you like to see Eda 50-50 in two years, let's say? I would like to see Era 50-50 as a um, financially st- 
stable, so here, existing, mostly. (laughs) I think as an organisation that um, continues to shine the light on or champion practitioners and organisations that are doing it well, that are managing to produce content that is balanced, um, and to feels you know and 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 also to challenge those organizations that aren't we don't want to shame people but we want to encourage people to do the right thing so i'd like to in two years time see us doing that in a way that is sustainable Mm -hmm. fully funded basically i'd like to there's there's women who work who've worked tirelessly on our committee um i'd like to be able to pay them for the work that they do that's what i'd love um you know, we're developing this comedy project. I'd like to, you know, begin to find other areas in the industry where we can um, create events that, on a regular basis, that raise awareness so that we can incre- increase women in all areas. So, you know, in sound, in the camera departments, um, art departments, uh, you know, at every level. We just, so, yeah, to continue to champion that. Great. Fabulous. Yeah. Well, um, we will continue to champion you guys. Yeah, in Scotland, yeah. persistent and nasty. Has yeah. your back? Yeah. As we, as thank we you see. so much. No, thank you. Because what's joy. been the best thing of all of this, I think, is that having done this, is I've met incredible women doing incredible things all over the country. I have met so many, and it and makes me quite emotional. Mm. Is that I get emails from women who are all doing incredible work in all four corners of, you know, the country, um, who, and other countries, because Scotland is another country. Uh, (laughs) So quickly, just in case I upset anybody. No, it's okay. But but people, I've met extraordinary women doing extraordinary things. And and I would like to, in two years' time, be able to be the kind of platform that we can can, uh, really advocate for other organisations and make sure everybody is getting the money that they need to, to, to do this really, really important work. Amazing. Thank you so much, Polly. You're lovely. Oh, thanks.